0: With frequent wildfires contributing to airborne pollution and the fall allergy season upon us, it's time to buttress your respiratory health with Breathe Clear from my friends at NT Factor. Breathe Clear with NT Factor combines the benefits of NT Factor's breakthrough lipids formula with powerful bioflavonoids and amino acids. Together, they've been shown to restore energy, repair the damage to cells caused by wildfire pollution, decrease allergic reactions, Reduce sinus congestion and open blood vessels. Breathe Clear with NT Factor is the best formulation available for tackling both allergies and the free radical damage caused by wildfire smoke. For a limited time, buy one container of NT Factor Lumens Powder and get a bottle of Breathe Clear with NT Factor free. That's a $27 value. Just go to NTFactor.com, that's NTFactor.com, or call NTFactor. 809829158 809829158 Arm yourself with the protective power of NT Factor Lipids Powder and get breathe clear with NT Factor absolutely free and breathe freely while supporting your body's fight against allergies and free radicals. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Recently, I wrote a newsletter article, you can find it at drhoffman.com, about the fate of my fellow baby boomers. Uh, We grew up in a tumultuous era and we're aging. And I wrote about uh, some concerns about uh, baby boomer health and uh, whether, uh, because of uh, new trends, in terms of health problems and health challenges, whether this generation will uh, ultimately outlive previous generations. As almost every generation since, uh, well, perhaps uh, since the beginning of time uh, has, there's been a trend towards aging, uh, but uh, the baby boomer generation seems to be challenged. Well, uh, today we're going to talk about The Big 100. It's a new book, The New World of Super Aging. And it poses the question, will we be able to uh, routinely attain ages uh, of 100 and above in the future? And if so, what will be some of the societal consequences? Our guest is William Cole. Uh, He is author of The Big 100, The New World of Super Aging, and uh, uh, Bill is uh, a very, very uh, experienced journalist. Uh, he recently retired as New England editor for the Associated Press. Uh, he's an award-winning former foreign correspondent. He's been all over the globe, nor- from North America to Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. He's covered uh, all kinds of stories, including he was a lead writer on the crash that killed Princess Diana. Uh, and uh, uh, he's covered some of the most important stories of our time. Uh, he studied journalism at Boston University. And in 2022... Uh, he became a fellow in aging journalism at Columbia University. Yeah, that's a very niched brand of journalism. We're going to find out a little bit about that. Uh, he's been writing about uh, the issue of aging since the 1990s when he was Paris-based. And when he told the world the extraordinary story of Jean Calment, who uh, I think uh, owns the title of being the longest living human at 1:22, we'll talk a little bit about her extraordinary story. Uh, Bill, it's a pleasure having you on Intelligent Medicine. Congratulations on the book; it is really eminently readable. It goes on sale uh, tomorrow, uh, October 3rd, and uh, I think it's going to be a, a great addition to the uh, you know the, the wealth of uh, books and writings on the subject. Thank you so much. It's it's a great pleasure and honor to be with you, Ron. Well, indeed. Uh, likewise. So uh, what got you onto this uh, particular issue? Uh, because, you know, you've covered all kinds of issues in your journalistic career. What uh, prompted you? And you'll know, perhaps uh, give us your perspective as uh, yourself, a member of the baby boomer generation.
1: I am aging. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't deny it. <laughs> I'm an aging boomer. Uh, this book actually kind of has its genesis in Uh, My early years, uh, I grew up with a centenarian in the household. My grandmother uh, lived almost to 104. Uh, She was born in 1899, and she died in 2003. So her life actually touched briefly parts of three centuries. And when you have someone like that in your family, it just changes you. And uh, I think it kindled within me a, a, a fascination. And that fascination more or less became an obsession when I became a foreign correspondent in Paris for the Associated Press. And among many uh, assignments, uh, was able to tell the story of Jeanne Calment. you mentioned her, she lived to 122 years and 164 days, and um, is indeed still the, uh, the reigning queen of humanity in terms of uh, lifespan. Um, and I should say with an asterisk, uh, a lifespan that can be authenticated by records because mm-hmm. you know we we all have uh, seen the supermarket tabloids of the 150 year old guy emerging from the rainforest somewhere but that guy doesn't have the goods in terms of documents Jean mm-hmm. Calmont
0: did can we derive any insights from uh, her story uh, is there uh, some uh, commonality among uh, centenarians that she exemplifies as a superager.
1: Well, you know, she of course is a supercentenarian. We define those as uh, people who attain the age of 110 or older. And when you get to those ages, these are really uh, genetic uh, wonders. These people. I mean, you know, you can you can certainly credit behaviors, diet, exercise, other things for getting you into your 90s, but uh, really to propel you beyond 100 and especially as far beyond 100 as Madame Calamont was able to venture, you really need to sort of hit the genetic lottery. It's like kind of like hitting all five numbers plus the Powerball.
0: Wow. So it, it, it but it, it seems to be, as you described it in, in the book, uh, there is kind of a interplay between genetics and lifestyle. It's not all genetic, but it's it's also not all a merit system because so many of my patients, as they age, they encounter health problems. They go, "Oh my goodness, how did this possibly happen?" I'm so careful about every aspect of my diet. I take vitamin supplements. I exercise religiously, and yet this whatever befell me.
1: That's right. You know. Uh basically, the consensus is that um, our behaviors account for about 75% of what gets us to 90. And our genetic wiring accounts for the other 25%. And then the script kind of flips and from 90 to 100. And thereafter, the genetics piece, you know, is predominant. Uh, But you know, you can't live to 100 if you don't reach 90. And, uh, you know, so this gives us hope that we can You know, we have some say we have, uh, you know, some uh, some things that we can do Uh, and, uh, you know, we can optimize whatever our genetic uh, predispositions are uh, and, and sort of, you know, position ourselves for longevity as best we can.
0: So the statistics are very interesting because uh, on the one hand, the average uh, mortality or the average uh, lifespan is actually decreasing in America. That's due to what are sometimes termed deaths of despair, you know, people who are succumbing to lifestyle, alcohol, drugs, uh, violence, right. and so on. Uh, you know, obesity is a big factor in curtailing. And lifestyle. COVID. And COVID. COVID actually took a, took a hit. Uh, but. Still, there is a trend emerging that more and more people are going to be in that rarefied thing, you know, where they used to, you know, they used to announce on the Today Show, uh, you know, this such and such has turned 101. It was like a very big deal. She's out there in Omaha, Nebraska. Let's say, you know, let's say hi to Sadie. Uh, but that will actually become relatively commonplace within the next uh, f- few decades.
1: Right. You know, and there are two things, two forces at play uh, that are causing that to happen. One is purely demographic. Uh, The baby boom generation demographically is a big deal. There are, you know, well more than 70 million of us. Uh, The oldest of the boomers right now is 77 or so. And um, so, you know, in the next 25 years, the fittest of those people will start to age age into triple digits. And, you know, it, just demographically, uh, the numbers will be pushed significantly higher, in terms of the centenarians we see among us. And that's the demographic piece. And then there's the medical and scientific piece, you know, we are making strides uh, in treating cancer, in, uh, you know, thwarting heart disease and stroke, and even Alzheimer's, we're making, you know, we're gaining some ground there. No cure yet, but, we're, you know, there are some treatments to slow things. And, uh, you know, to, to the to the point where experts at Stanford University's Center on Longevity are projecting that one in every two five-year-olds alive right now will live to 100, which is astonishing when you think about it.
0: Well, there's also this argument about uh, lifespan versus health span. And the concern yes. is that we may be prolonging life at the expense of quality of life because, you know, people who are sustained well into their 90s and beyond, uh, who are doing so by means of uh, polypharmacy, uh, who suffer from uh, multimorbidity, uh, you know, a bunch of medical conditions, debilitating conditions, and they're warehoused uh, in care facilities. That's not necessarily a, a, a you know, a, a, a laudable goal.
1: Absolutely. That's not the triple digit lifespan that any of us wants, you know. Uh, and I, you're right. I don't think we should have or could have this conversation about lifespan without health span. And so the focus is very much on how do we get to 100 intact? And that includes cognitively, because again, you know, who wants to live to 100 or beyond if, you know, we're not aware of our surroundings and can't have meaningful interaction with people. And and then of course, you know, many of us are hoping to be mobile. I, I run marathons. I, I'm, not, I'm not deluded enough to think I'll be running marathons when I'm 100 but I'd, I'd sure like to be able to get out and walk around the block, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, in a way, uh, you know, just as uh, investing is kind of uh, pedestrian, if you follow the old guidelines, you know, you put a few uh, pennies in the piggy bag, the exercise uh, works a little bit like that. It's, you know, it may not uh, result in immediate gratification, but to the extent that you create uh, in midlife, uh, a foundation of regular exercise and maintain the capacity to do some forms of exercise uh, that may pay off in dividends, even if you know, even if, like you say, you won't be able to do a an Ironman triathlon at ninety two.
1: Absolutely, uh, you know, my my mother is a is a, a prime example of that. She's ninety two, still living independently in the house I grew up in. She's the daughter of that almost one hundred and four year old my grandmother. Uh, And, you know, she she worked out and took exercise classes daily for years. She doesn't do that anymore, but she has accrued incredible physical fitness, uh, you know, and, and she's still enjoying the benefits of of that today.
0: What When it comes to extending life, you know, there, there are a couple of ideas around that. You know, one is, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you know, vanquishing uh, the killing and debilitating diseases, you know, mainly heart disease. We're making some advances there. We may be making some advances in prevention. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, the fact that higher percentage of Americans are obese and diabetic is kind of. Uh, flying in the face of those advances. Uh, We Mm -hmm. are actually on the cusp, I think, of major advances in uh, detection and early treatment of, uh, and even uh, late treatment of cancer. So I think uh, the world of oncology is very exciting. And when it comes to neurological diseases, I mean, we're just seeing the beginnings of potentially effective treatments. They're a little crude, a lot of side effects, but maybe we might just be in the early days of turning the corner but there's also this issue of uh, addressing the very causes the mechanisms of aging and in the book you talk a little bit about what some of those are and how research is now looking at aging uh as a disease process or as a process that can be modified not just by preventing the the things that kill us
1: that's right uh there's some really intriguing uh research along those lines. Uh, you know, we do spend enormous amounts of money on uh, on, you know, curing and treating disease. And so the, the, uh, the thinking goes that if we could just, you know, sort of uh, treat aging as a disease, perhaps we could even, you know, get more funding to, to address it. Pharma, of course, big pharma is very interested in developing a new class of drugs. Uh, So-called so
0: senolytics. They're, they're, that's a yes. term that's applied to these anti-aging drugs, senolytics. Right.
1: It, yes. And so what they're trying to do, of course, is unlock the secrets to longevity. Again, not in a grotesque way necessarily, but in a way that could benefit society, uh, you know, by trying to mimic uh, what is happening in the bodies of these superagers. agers. Uh, you know, I think However, there is a grotesque element to some of the longevity hacks, if you mm-hmm. will, that, yep. that are being pursued. I'm thinking specifically of cryogenics. I'm thinking of uh, some of the of the uh, expensive, out of reach, and untested really uh, treatments that some like are vampire pursuing. Vampire
0: blood transfusions, things like yes. that. you know, getting stem cell. Um, yeah treatments,
1: yeah. things like that. you know, the FDA hasn't signed off on these things and we don't ha- know enough about them to know if they're harmful or not. But, you know, the, the, the point being that the rich can make this their playground and and that's out of reach for the rest of us. And, you know, for me, and I argue this in the book, um, you know, there are some serious ethical uh, questions that arise here. Mm-hmm. I was just on, on uh, a, uh, a show with uh, a T- a TV station in Kazakhstan talking oh. about the book this oh. morning. Yeah. And uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, we're all aging and it's, yeah. uh, the interest is wide. But, you know, um, Kazakhs are way in the bottom third of life expectancy. I hmm. mean, they, depending on the, you know, the United Nations and the World Bank are the two uh, organizations that, that rank these things most prominently. And the Kazakhs are, you know, 70, 71 years, you know, Monaco is at the top of the pile with 87 years of like life expectancy I can't imagine but a, obviously
0: but where the average uh, dwelling costs uh, 10 million dollars you know so right? obviously it's a pocket of wealth accumulation
1: well there's no secret there right I mean you yeah. know rich people get more time and mm-hmm. you know we you know we famously say that money can't buy you love but it can help you lease more life and mm-hmm. that doesn't seem fair to me.
0: Sure. Right so so uh, this is another issue and I think it was actually brought up in the in the original movie uh, Avatar uh, you know, so the, if I recall the plot mm-hmm. vaguely, uh, there was uh, a trooper who, you know, had, uh, you know, had some severe injury, he lost his legs or something like that. But uh, if you only agreed to go on this, uh, you know, very, very perilous mission, uh, the uh, incredible fees that would be necessary to, uh, uh, you know, restore him back to good health would be waived. Uh, but so there's the, these tremendous medical advances in the future. Uh, but only accessible to those who have the means uh, to obtain them. And for the general populace, mm, not so much. Right.
1: Yeah. You know, you'll, if, when, when people are surveyed, they, are, they take a very bleak view, a dim view of the likelihood that, you know, Joe Sixpack will have access to life extending medical breakthroughs. Uh, Yeah, We just saw the latest iteration of the iPhone rolled out, and we all are aware of how expensive the first iPhones were. None of us could, or very few of us, could could have one. You know, we had to wait. Mm -hmm. And uh, now we're talking about life itself, so it starts to get a little sticky.
0: Indeed. So uh, people are talking about uh, certain uh, medical interventions to extend life. Uh, Metformin is is one of the popular ones. I know they're doing research uh, on it at uh, my alma mater, Einstein, Dr. Nils Barzillet, whom you mentioned in the book. There's an an aging center at Einstein. Uh, They're Mm -hmm. looking at the potential for metformin to not just treat uh, blood sugar problems, but also to be a life extender. Uh, There's also um, rapamycin, which is uh, increasingly popular among the sort of self-hacking crowd People taking rapamycin because it seems to have some anti-aging capabilities in animals. Uh, have you surveyed that uh, those prospects?
1: I've, I've looked at that, uh, and yes, of course. Again, it's very fraught. Uh, you know uh, what what is happening. Uh, you know there there was another treatment that I uh, you may have uh, read about where. Uh, you know, an old mouse was more yes. or less stitched to a young mouse. I mean, this is very Frankenstein esque. Yes, you it's know, like but,
0: vampire blood treatments. You know, so yes. you know, get blood from right. younger you know. individuals. You know, maybe you know get uh, maybe just uh, hire a bunch of college students to donate blood to uh, <laughs> you know to to uh, maintain. It's it's sort of. It uh, makes me think of uh, the Simpsons. You know, Mr. Uh, what's well, his name in yes. the Simpsons who uh, obtains vampire blood from beautiful young coeds to maintain life.
1: <laughs> well, it's a bit macabre, you know. Uh, you know, a lot of money is being thrown at this question, and uh, you know, I, I think. Look, what we can't forget is that we do have um, a, a genetic pre- predisposition, and, and we can do things to optimize that. But at the end of the day, immortality is really not a thing, you know. I mean, we, we, we shouldn't, you know, kid ourselves. I mean, we're, none of us gets out of this alive.
0: Right.
1: So, you know, we, we, uh, we, can, we can try and extend our lives. But for me, closing the longevity gap, and maybe we can talk about this too, there's a racial and ethnic component to longevity that is very troubling. Hmm. Uh, I, 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 I take a deep dive in, in the book. Uh, On this question. Well, let's let's get into
0: that. So let's get into that because we saw we saw this, you know, a health inequity with COVID. We see health inequities with uh, childbirth and, uh, you know, infant mortality and maternal mortality. uh, And we see a gap in terms of life expectancy. Uh, You know, what's going on? Is it is it is it lifestyle? Is it bad medical care? Uh, You know, and how can we address that and make it so that you you know, we actually bring equity to this prospect of longer life.
1: Right? Well, you know, um, Arlene Geronimus at the University of Michigan has pioneered this theory of weathering, which seems to be getting, you know, uh, quite a bit of interest and support in the scientific community. And that is the idea that uh, that systemic racism takes a cumulative toll on black and brown bodies. Uh, there's a, a, you know, stress is the enemy of longevity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, you know, the, it, it speeds up our biological clocks. Uh, it, it's been linked to greater inflammation in the body. Uh, there's all kinds of, of things that that stress does to us that are not good. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, systemic racism is a is stress at the next level. So, you know, some of us, you know, say, Oh, I'm so stressed, you know, I have a paper due, or, you know, whatever, but we have a solution to solve that problem. But the stress that comes with, Oh my God, I I don't think I can pay my rent and I face eviction. Like,
0: yeah, existential threats. But we also have to look at the example of uh, Jean Colmont, you know, coming back to her again. You know, she survived what, two major world wars and, you know, a bunch of other conflagrations, you know, in in Europe. Uh, She had tragedy in her life. She outlived virtually everyone in her family. Her children and grandchildren uh, died young. Uh, You know, it, it wasn't an easy life. Uh, so no. could, can we can we posit that it's not just stress alone, but how one uh, establishes resilience to stress?
1: That, that is certainly uh, the case. Uh, but I should note that Madame Calamon, although she did, you know, live through two world wars and, and, a, and a, a terrible pandemic uh, in the 1900s, uh, she was a woman of privilege, okay. you know, and, and she was fairly well off. And, uh, you know, she never had to work. Uh, she kind of played at things and, you know, sort of, you know, was a kind of a woman of, le- she, of leisure. She, she, so
0: she wasn't a laundress or, you know, she wasn't uh, picking no. potatoes, as a, you know, as a, no. as a farmer peasant.
1: That's right. And, you know, even uh, in the black community, we do see centenarians and even super centenarians yep. who have endured terrible, terrible calamity. I mean, I, I'm thinking particularly of these beautiful one, one, uh, women who were testifying before Congress uh, a year or so ago with the uh, anniversary of the Tulsa uh, yes. massacre. Which so, happened you know, in the early,
0: uh, like in the 1920s.
1: That's right. And and they lived through it. They were young women, young girls when that happened. And uh, and you know they literally saw you know their homes burned to the ground. You know there was a great loss of life. I mean this this was a, a horrible, really almost a genocide. And you know and yet they they were able to live uh, you know and overcome that. Mm-hmm. In that sense they are more outliers than anything else. And they they they're they're not exceptions that prove the rule. They just are exceptions. I mean the the rule is that people of color um, have poorer health outcomes in this country, they have higher incidences of heart disease of diabetes, uh, you know, of high blood pressure. Uh, There are questions about nutrition, there are also questions about income and education, which also are components. Education is a big
0: predictor of longevity, interestingly enough. It's like it's one of the reasons yeah. that I, I brand this podcast, Intelligent Medicine, with the belief that the more education, insight, uh, health literacy you develop, the more likely you are to surmount health challenges and live longer. I mean, I really think there is That's something right. to that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In the book, I, I outline a study that was done that looked at uh, people who have – uh, four year degrees. And it turns out that those of us who have four year degrees do live longer. Hmm. Uh, and, and and part of that is because we tend to get better jobs. Uh, you know, we're not working outdoors in the heat and in the in the elements, you know, we're working in air conditioned comfort, which also doesn't hurt. But beyond that, you know, there are other benefits. Uh, people with four year college degrees tend not to smoke. Hmm. Uh, and they also, tend to advocate for themselves better when it comes to uh, interactions with doctors, whereas people who don't have a degree are a little more cowed and intimidated Mm -hmm. when they're in the presence of a physician. And, uh, you know, they don't ask questions and, and, you know, ask for, you know, the best care that can be had. So lots there to unpack. But, Indeed. Uh, yes. Well,
0: well, let's um, let's tackle some of these issues in in part two. As our listeners know, we divide our podcast into two parts. So we sort of laid down the groundwork for a discussion in part two. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, be careful what you wish for because uh, living to one hundred uh, could create a whole lot of very challenging uh, societal and social problems, and so we better be prepared to uh, to uh, address the burden of longevity uh it is a benefit but uh, to some extent it may be a curse and when we return uh we'll continue our discussion with uh, william j cole author of the big 100 a new book the new world of super aging i'm dr ronald Hoffman, and this is the intelligent medicine podcast